Jesus es genoeg. Jesus is enough. And that was in Dutch. A little shout out to our Dutch Reformed hey. theological heritage there. Uh, you're listening to Grace Walk Radio. I am your host, Derek Lewandowski, and I am joined, as always, unless he's watching Star Wars reruns. <laughs> Or <laughs> I expected or, you to go with Liverpool there. Or Liverpool. Uh, or the Minnesota Twins. Yeah. Caleb the Iceberg Berg. Howdy. Welcome, my friend. You doing well? I am doing well. Yeah, it's... Uh, man, what week is it? It's September, isn't it? It's September, and, gotta mm-hmm. say, this is our 50th episode. Hey, hey. Episode 50. We made it a lot further than Star Wars did. Yes, we did. And <laughs> Rocky. And Rocky. He's approaching it, but... <laughs> <laughs> so, and we got at least 50 more in us, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll find, we'll find something to talk about. Uh, we, we're really thankful that you join us. Uh, Grace Walk Radio, our mission is to talk about the gospel in belief and practice, the gospel of grace, I should say, uh, which is the gospel, we believe, of the apostles, and uh, the gospel not only of the New Testament, but of the entire canon of Scripture, yeah. um, and uh, talk about how to live under grace in a modern world. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot going on in our world today. You can't get beyond the Bible. Uh, the Bible is just as relevant uh, today as, as it's always been. Matter of fact, we're teaching through the, the book of Nahum in our church uh, here in Avon, New York. Um, the, the series is called Love and Justice. And I've had, Caleb, I've had a lot of people just say, man, first of all, I've never heard anybody speak out of the book of Nahum. <laughs> Second of all, um, it's so relevant. It, it so uh, speaks to the issues of the day. And that's what we find in Scripture. Um, when, when you really see what it's saying, understand the context and, and apply it to uh, see it through the lens of the gospel and, and, and apply it to life, um, it's it's just as relevant today as ever. Amen. Yeah, you know, I I spoke this past weekend from Nahum chapter three, and yeah, it was it was so cool just to talk about those things. Like number one, I never thought I would say it's so cool to talk about wrath and judgment, but ultimately, what I find for myself, and uh, I just mentioned it to you this morning, like just in general throughout this whole book is just this overwhelming celebration of the gospel and, and just whether it's in song or whether through the, the messages, like it's just been week after week, like it's just kind of been, uh, you know, I've, I've been being filled and refilled and found it oozing out of me, just this love for the gospel of grace and seeing that in the book of Nahum, which I'll be honest, I'd never seen that there before. I've read through the book of Nahum and all I've seen is judgment and wrath but now I, I see myself being pointed to Jesus through it. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's beautiful. And, and ultimately, one of the great things about it that I've seen, uh, I don't know, that's just been assuring and encouraging is to see God's sovereign providential plan. Oh, a little segue there. Teed you up on that one. <laughs> I, I got to say, though, I'm not going to let you get away with not addressing the headline, okay, in our fantasy football world, uh, I know my son Reese has been loving uh, these little updates we give. Ah, uh, great! And I'm sure he he's going to be eager to hear yeah. what you have to say about what is starting tonight, which is we have an actual 
official NFL game tonight. And week one, from what I understand, is going to be a battle of Red Zone Reese versus (laughs) Icebergs of Wrath. Indeed it is. And, you know, as the week has progressed, so, you know, starting last week, you start to really narrow down your starting lineups. Or if you're me, you're waiting till the day before and you start to then pay attention to your starting lineup. But, um, yeah, it's been neck and neck as far as who is projected to win as far as projected points, which, let's just be honest, projected points mean nothing because if you're starting quarterback is Lamar Jackson like mine is and the go, the guy goes out and breaks his ankle on snap one it doesn't matter how many projected points he was projected to have Caleb this is uh or I should say icebergs of wrath this is so close right it's now so close. the projection is that red zone Reese is supposed to beat you 136.73 to 136.56 man that to even show you how much that changes, that's different than it was last night. I was projected by like point zero three points to win. Now, hang, are you are you going to downplay the projections? Because no, la- last no. week you were like saying, "Hey, I got the best draft," and grade. I still hold to that, <laughs> <laughs> and that means something. See, uh, so I've got three or four players who have been questionable as far as whether they're going to start or play at all. And so that's kind of been plaguing me this week. Like, who do I start in the wide receiver slot? Because, like, three of my guys are questionable. And uh, that, that could be a make-or-break thing as far as how, how this week plays out. It could. Now, we're not going to belabor this, but we do need a prediction. Is Icebergs of Wrath going to beat Red Zone Reese? Now, keep in mind, by the time this recording I'll probably. goes live, <laughs> it's all going to be in the books. Yeah. So what's your prediction? I'm, I'm predicting a win. A win. For me. A bit like for icebergs of wrath. Big big margin. Big. Uh, it's going to be a tight one. You know, despite his draft record, which I mean, he only was like seventh in the league yeah, not, for his not draft. Very, very pedestrian. Uh, very pedestrian. Yeah, low low levels. Um, <laughs> amateur, you might say. <laughs> uh, I had a high quality draft. Um, yeah, we we know that, Caleb. Probably the best. <laughs> and uh, didn't we already do that? Yeah, we did. Update. Okay. Uh, I, I think I'm going to win. Okay. I don't think it'll be substantial margin, but I do think I'm going to come away with the win. All right. You heard it right here on Grace Walk Radio. Uh, Icebergs of Wrath is going to defeat Red Zone Reese uh, this weekend starting yeah. tonight. So. Yeah. I mean, to, to pair it up a little bit and then I'll move on. Liverpool won the league this last year in European uh, Premier League soccer in, Eng- in England. Um, they didn't win by massive margins. They were just known as the the mental monsters. So they they had this mentality of we're gonna, we're gonna win yeah. even if it means I have to you cut, gotta believe cut the legs off of my opponent. You know, at the very last minute, we're gonna win. Okay, this is getting uh, sorry, violent. <laughs> but this is all fantasy, right? This yeah, it's all, all hypothetical. Okay. <laughs> hypothetical. Hypothetical violence. All right, now if you if you lose, right? What what helps Ooh. is believing in the doctrine of God's. Sovereignty and yeah. providence, the yeah. doctrines of sovereignty and providence. It's all in his will. Okay, th- th- there's our segue. Back to segue our topic number today. Two. We're still in this uh, series on Reformed theology, and we've been talking about a few doctrines that fall within the Reformed theological system, but um, you know, aren't necessarily always associated with uh, Reformed theology or Calvinism, because that's famous for Tulip, right? The, the remonstrance, the... Um, uh, the acronym that kind of lays out the distinctives of the theological system, but uh, there are other doctrines that we feel are deeply important and comforting yeah. and helpful. And so last week we talked about what is the essential uh, 
core doctrine of the Christian faith, justification by faith. And this week we want to talk about this idea of providence. So, Caleb, what do you think of when you, when you hear that word providence in light of Reformed theology? Michael W. Smith. No, no. <laughs> if, you're, if you're unfamiliar with Michael W. Smith, he had a song called Providence from the 80s. Um, a little reggae, right? A little uh, reggae beat to it. Yeah. That was back when, uh, as a child, I would host Michael W. Smith concerts at home on the, the dining room table. Wait, I, you, I would be Michael W. You're Smith. Him. Yeah. Okay. So back in the good old day when I was a big fan of Smitty. Um, yeah, so for me, uh, I've. I've come to really love the doctrine of providence. Um, I won't steal the definition you have written down here, but just knowing that it's God's wise use of his sovereignty and his His plan for all of humanity. So when things unfold in front of me, I don't chalk it up to uh, chance or um, random things happening. As I mentioned in this last week's message at Grace Life, it's easy to look at these events in Nahum and Jonah and the book of Daniel and all these Old Testament books that kind of talk about the same time frame and go, oh, these random events that are happening on the national scale. But in reality, it was all part of God's plan. And so mm-hmm. God has orchestrated through his sovereignty these events to happen. And they unfolded and happened exactly as he designed them. Um, you know, Job 42, 2 and Isaiah 46 come to mind essentially say, you know, like God's plan will happen as he has planned it. And there's nothing that can thwart his plans. Um, Isaiah 46, I think it says that all, all will happen according to his purposes. His mm. purposes will, will, will take place. Yeah. And you're quoting Job 42 too. I know that you can do all things yeah. and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You know, I had a pastor friend of mine uh, once tell me as I was sort of coming into uh, Reformed theological distinctives. Uh, he said, you know, the older you get, the more Calvinistic you become. And um, I think he was just referring to the idea that uh, even those who might hold to the Arminian view, the older you get, the more Calvinistic you become, because you start to see God working in all things. You start to see his sovereignty and providence. Uh, and I, I think the uh, the verse in, uh, is it First John uh, refers to that when when Paul's writing, um, when John is writing, and he says, "I write to you, children. You've known the Father. I write to you, young men. You've overcome the evil one." And then he says, "I write to you, fathers, because you've known Him who is from the beginning." And so he kind of tells you, like, what maybe some of the distinct general revelations are for each demographic as we go through the seasons of life and the faith. And the fathers, those who've been around for a while, those who have walked with God, they've known him who is from the beginning. They see the sovereign God. They see the the Alpha and the Omega. They see the one who uh, started this story. He was at the beginning. He was working through this whole story, and it's deeply comforting and uh, and, and really helps us rest. Uh, and, and it helps you lose some regret too, right? Like when you see God's sovereignty um, and that even in our failures, God in his sovereignty and his goodness sometimes allowed us. Remember that, what did you read from the Westminster last week, how sometimes there's seasons when God will allow his children to uh, to Mm -hmm. go into these seasons of darkness or wilderness or even failure uh, to discipline us and to show us a greater revelation of his grace. Like even in that, there's, there's comfort. And rest. Yeah, very much so. 
You know, because I think overall, a lot of people struggle with those regrets. You know, if I had only done this differently, if I had never done that, or if I had raised my children differently, that's a huge one. Mm. Um, you know, I'm I'm only in the beginning stages of those regrets. Uh, you know, I have a six-year-old, well, about to be six-year-old, and um, so it's, you know, I'm... Super easy. Super easy, right? You know, <laughs> I'm at the stage that in 15 years, I'll regret all these things, but... I've got six kids, by the way, and two of them are... Uh, 20 and up. Yeah. I got a 22 year old and a 20 year old. It, this helps me to wrestle with that a little bit and go, okay, these things are happening in the sovereign providential plan of God. Mm. And so it's helping me to trust him and, and turn over to him, even, even the mistakes, even the, the areas where I fail and, and, and struggle as a young parent. Um, I can turn those over to to the Lord. Yeah, uh, let's try to lay this out with some clear statements. Uh, You know, I think one of the things that providence teaches is that God causes good, Mm -hmm. He allows evil, but He ordains all things. You know, and I love that that uh, phrase, "all things." It's a very biblical phrase um, that we actually already referenced it in Job forty two two. He says, "I know you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted." In um, Ephesians 1.11, it says, In him we have, been, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his own will. So that tells us that uh, God works in all things, and all those things have been predestined by God according to his own counsel and his own wisdom. Romans 8.28, a verse that we all love, right? Even those who... Uh, don't hold to the Reformed theological distinctives. Yeah. Quote this one all the time. It's important to us. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So there, again, it speaks of those all things uh, being predestined. Uh, and, and so which of your circumstances, which of your successes, which of your failures, which of your highs, which of your lows is not included in the phrase all things. All things fall within the providential plan of your loving Heavenly Father who is working for the good in our lives and for His own glory. So God causes good, right? He, he, uh, he acts in ways that are good toward His creation and uh, toward His church and through His church. He allows evil. God doesn't perform evil. He doesn't take delight in it, but at times we see in Scripture He allows it for His own sovereign, glorious purposes and the sanctification of his people, but he ordains everything. Um, here's some, um, some definitions I think that are helpful. Uh, I heard a, uh, it was one of the uh, Ask Pastor John uh, podcasts that sometime over the last year or two, I think the title of it was, Are God's Sovereignty and Providence the Same Thing? And um, I really like how Piper kind of makes a distinction between the two, and he says it this way, God's sovereignty is his right and power to do all that he decides to do. Um, And then it says, providence, however, includes what sovereignty doesn't. Providence, as I use the word and as most Christians have used it, is sovereignty in the service of wise purposes. Or you could say, providence is wise and purposeful sovereignty. So sovereignty is... Just speaks of God's authority, yeah, um, and His power over His creation. That He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. That He is, He is the 
uh, designer and, and holds jurisdiction over his entire creation, Psalm 24.1, right? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But providence speaks of how God uses his sovereignty. Yeah. And uh, I like how Piper says, it's sovereignty in the, surface, in the service of wise purposes. Yeah. Um, you know, and <clears throat> I think that's where, as I, I listened to that podcast with you, I believe, and it was very helpful in, in kind of having that quick uh, definition of what providence is. But some of the ways that I've kind of seen that is, you know, I talk a lot about God's sovereignty. I talk a lot about God's providence, but it's that connection that, you know, God's sovereignty you know, is his right and power, and providence is kind of like the action of it, mm-hmm. if you will, kind of the, the acting out of it. So, yeah, God allows evil, but does not necessarily, um, he, he does not sin, he is not evil, but he allows it, and so therefore he is causality in a lot of, in, in all things. Um, you got to wrestle with some of this, it's, it's mind-bending a bit, um, but God is good. And so he orchestrates all these things for his glory and our good. Um, and, and, you know, at the end of the day, uh, he's not removed from it himself. Um, you know, Isaiah 53, 10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, speaking uh, prophetically of Christ. And then in Acts four twenty seven, 27, um, speaking past tense of the events that took place that allowed Jesus to be crucified, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servants, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Um, so it's very clear that God, in his sovereign providential plan, even allowed his son to experience um, this painful aspect of it. So not only is there good things that come to us because of God's providential plan, but also suffering. Yeah. And that, that's that got to be wrestled with because it's got to be experiential. Uh, you, you, it's hard to have like that um, academic knowledge of suffering without having the tangible experiential knowledge of suffering. Right. Um, but here's scripture to say that even Jesus, the Son of God, who is God himself, um, manifest in the flesh in Jesus Christ, the incarnation, experienced through God's providential plan, the crushing, the the scourging, the, the suffering, and eventual death, burial, and then resurrection. That was all part of God's plan. So providence at work, God's right and power um, in, in wise and purposeful um, purposes, purposeful purposes, um, God's sovereignty at work. And that's why it's important to know his character, right? Yeah. yeah that's why one of the things we, we talk about a lot as we teach the gospel is who is God and what is he like? And, and we, we lay out his character traits. You know, in this, in this book of Nahum series, it's called Love and Justice because we're trying to point out that love is not God. God is love, and that, that's, that's part of the character of God, but so is justice and wrath. And only when you see those two things together do you see a, full, a fuller picture of who he is. And only when you see those two things together do you see the beauty and the power of the cross, really. Um, so it's, it's important to understand who God is and his character, and that helps us understand sovereignty and providence. You know, I was having a conversation with my daughter, Joy, when she was a teenager. She's you know, pretty witty and, and uh, you know, pretty sharp uh, young lady. And, 
and and we're just talking about it. And she goes, I see why this is important. She goes, it, it's it's important to know that God is in charge and that uh, God is in control. That that is helpful. She goes, but what if His plans suck? <laughs> you know, like just because somebody's in charge doesn't mean it's going to go well. Um, you know, what, what if ultimately their plans are bad? What if they don't have a benevolent heart toward you, toward you? So she said, I see why it's also important to understand God, that God is a God of love and grace and mercy and that he's, he's a father uh, to us. And, and so that helps us in our suffering to know that, doesn't it? Because then we go, okay, the Bible tells me who he is and what he's like and where this is going, mm. that God works. He's a father to me. So therefore, in in his sovereign providence, he's led me to this place. He's predestined me. He wants me right here, right now, in this situation, in this marriage, in this crisis. He he wants me here. Not only is he good, but he's wise, which must mean that this situation I'm in is both from his goodness and his wisdom, right? This is his wisest way of sanctifying me. This is his wisest way of glorifying himself. Like, boy, those things start to anchor you, right? Gives you a place to stand. And, and then... So, so not only do we have the scriptures teaching us who he is, but we also have stories in scripture that you might say stand in for us. Like, I don't have the end of your story. Right. You don't have the end of mine, but we have Joseph. Mm-hmm. Right. So we see how sovereignty and providence work in Joseph's life. Here's this man who went through incredible suffering and betrayal, and yet it says things throughout his story like Genesis 29, 32, the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. So it, it helps us to understand God's sovereignty and providence that even in the midst of our suffering, God is good, God is in control, and God is working through all this yeah. uh, for his glory and my good. I think that's so important to recognize in the story of Joseph because often if you if you have a low view of God's sovereignty, you would look at the story of Joseph and go, God had abandoned him. Hmm. God had God had given Joseph over to his brothers and his brothers over to the uh, slave traders and the slave traders over to the Egyptian bond masters, whatever. But yet it says the Lord was with Joseph. And that doesn't mean like just this casual, like, oh, he was there somewhere in the hodgepodge mix of it all. No, the Lord was close. Hmm. The kingdom of God was close to Joseph. Hmm. Yeah, we were just talking, uh, Caleb and I, and uh, uh, our campus worker, uh, Kelsey, we, we were talking to uh, a pastor recently, and he was telling us about a funeral that he went to uh, in another church. And, and it was uh, uh, one of these churches where they, you know, they, it was a pastor, uh, it was a man, woman, uh, both co-pastors, you know, one of these situations, very egalitarian and, um, you know, very like hyper-Pentecostal. And um, so the, the woman got up, and the first thing she said in the funeral service was, this was not God's will. My husband had all these prophetic words spoken over him, and uh, Satan took my husband. And, and, and our, the pastor we were meeting with was just lamenting you know, how horrific it would be and what, what violence and damage that would do to your psyche and your, and your emotions to believe that kind of absurdity. Because really, what, what is this woman saying? She's saying, God is not sovereign. Right? Satan yeah. is sovereign. We don't. The scriptures don't teach the sovereignty of Satan. That's why Martin Luther said the devil is God's devil. Right? Yeah. A very controversial statement. But um, if you understand what we're talking about here, you, you understand what he means. That the devil can't do anything 
to a Christian unless God allows it. Look at the book of Job, right? Yeah. Um, God is sovereign over Satan. Uh, we don't, there's no teaching in Scripture that teaches the sovereignty of man or the sovereignty of Satan. And so we have to believe that even the, the, the pain that comes into our lives yeah. comes from God's sovereign providence uh, and that even though we can't see it now, it is light and momentary, and it's it's Amen. ultimately good. I mean, look at what Jonah said yeah. in Jonah chapter two when when he was uh, in the belly of the fish praying and re- remembering what circumstances got him there. He said, praying to God, "You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me." What is Jonah saying exactly here? I mean. God didn't cast him in the sea. It was the other sailors. The, God didn't, you know, it wasn't God that, you know, put the waves on him. In the story, it doesn't tell it that way. It was a storm. This is telling us that Jonah's theology was that the sailors and the storm were the second cause. Yeah. And the first cause was God, that God was behind it and God was actually causing it or allowing it, and to the point where Jonah was able to say, you cast me in the deep, your waves and your billows. And I'll tell you, when, when you have that view of God's sovereignty, you don't stand up at the funeral of your husband and say things that display your insecurity yeah. and the sand on which you are standing and, and that you're sinking. Um, I remember going to another funeral of a, of a young guy uh, he, he, young man that died, uh, you know, crashed into a tree, and and a great kid, uh, great family, pastor's kid. But some of his friends um, were f- from a church where they didn't teach God's sovereignty, and and uh, they came up to me at the funeral, and they were confused. These these young adults were confused, like I don't understand. How could this happen? We prayed. How could this happen? We had faith. How could this happen? There was a prophetic word spoken over him. And so they had no theological box for what was happening. Therefore, they did not rest. Therefore, they were not comforted. Therefore, they were utterly confused. And some of them went through a theological conundrum and struggled with their faith because they they were not taught the doctrines of sovereignty and providence. And and when they needed them, they didn't have that help. They didn't have that place to stand. Yeah. I'm reminded of the book of Job, obviously, you know, all the things that he went through. And I get so angry when I look at some of the modern day teaching on some of this. Like, I've seen a lot of this lately on social media where people will post things like, look at the book of Job. God's going to replace everything that the devil took from you. The devil didn't take these things from you. He's not the first cause. Mm. You know, the Lord, uh, Job says, blessed be the name of the Lord, he gives and takes away. Mm-hmm. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Right. Uh, got that a little backwards. But though you slay me. Though you slay me. Right. You know, Job recognized who this came from. And, you know, I, I've experienced this myself. Again, the academic versus experiential. Like, it's one thing to read the scripture and get the sense of the weight of God's sovereignty. But when you experience it, it, it becomes um, substantive to you. So, you know, I've shared about the miscarriage we had in 2011, but in 2017, literally a month and a half before we moved up here, um, Chanel and I were expecting, and even that was a, a battle because we were like, man, we're getting ready to move and Chanel's pregnant. You know, like how, how, how is this all going to work out? Like, how do you move your family in the middle of a pregnancy? 
And there began to be some complications, right? You know, we were given word that there's a possibility that the baby had Down syndrome. And so there was this test that we could do to find out whether that was true um, or not without having to be invasive. They they have this new test where they check uh, with a blood sample. They can check uh, DNA count, which is incredible, like the, the, that exists. Um, and so we hadn't had word, and so we were getting a little panicked about it, um, wrestling with what God was doing and and trying to figure out what what would how would we respond to this you know as any parent would and finally we get the word that the test is back we go to the clinic Schnell is the only one that goes in I'm I'm with Olive in the car and I, like I can remember like just exactly how it played out over the course of an hour we're sitting in the car playing Olive's playing in the back she's three years old or about to be three at this point and uh, you know it goes from like the highest high to the lowest low in a matter of minutes as it starts off with the test results show no down syndrome, uh, healthy baby. And it's a baby girl. We're all excited to, I'm getting text messages going. There's no heartbeat. They're taking back for an ultrasound. Um, not good response from the ultrasound tech. She won't tell me what's going on, but it's clear. I think I know what happened. Um, they're sending me back to the doctor. We lost the baby. Like within uh, like uh, the appointment lasted an hour, but all of that took place within the period of like twenty minutes, and so I'm going, Olive, you're going to be a big sister. You're gonna you're gonna have a little sister to Olive. The baby didn't make it, hmm. and Chanel just texts me. At, you know, like as the appointment's wrapping up, she's like, "I just you know, I'm 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 sorry, it's taking me a little bit longer. I'm I'm praying with the doctor," and. uh I kind of was a little confused at that, you know, I'm like praying with the doctor. And she said later on that the doctor had come in crying uh, Mm -hmm. to give the news to her. And Chanel looked at the doctor and said, the Lord gives and takes away. Mm -hmm. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So Chanel found herself ministering to the doctor in that moment of extreme pain. We drove to a park. I broke down like a little baby um, because that's me. I'm the emotional one of the family. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, I, you know, we, uh, few days later had to go into the hospital and Chanel had to give birth to um, our little one Jin Piper. We named her and uh, we we picked the middle name Piper because as we've already mentioned him, John Piper has been very influential in our lives in understanding God's sovereignty and his providence. Mm. And that's the testimony that I have of it, that in the midst of incredible pain and suffering, we've seen God's providence and his sovereignty and I can tell you that he's good and that that light momentary affliction that we've experienced, it, it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Mm-hmm. And so these doctrines that we have been presenting, whether it's the providence of God, justification by faith, all of these things are not just academics. Calvinists often get slammed for being too academic. This is real life, um, experiential grace at work every single day. And I I know that in the end, though sometimes it's felt like I was barely holding on uh, by the skin of my teeth, that at the, the, the entire time, it was actually God who was holding me. Hmm. It wasn't me having to hold on. It was, it was God. Amen. And, and so we rest. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is the, the the destination of the gospel. That's that's what grace is about. 
That's what these doctrines are about. That's one of God's main intentions for you and for me uh, in, in believing these things and hearing these things is not, you know, to be right or to argue or, uh, you know, to, to make sure that you have all the correct theological tenets buttoned up in your mind or, um, you know, it, the point is rest, that, that we would know that God is above all of this that he's over all of this, that we cannot be ruined by sin or Satan or death. None of it. Yeah. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. God is, he's causing all things to bend and bow to his sovereign purposes in our lives and the story of his church and his people. So that's our hope for you today and hearing this podcast is that you would really rest. And I know, I know a lot of you are suffering. A lot of you have gone through things that are confusing. Um, maybe you're going through something right now that it's just so hard and you never would have picked it. You never, you never would have thought you'd be where you are, that this would have happened to you. Um, God works all things after the counsel of his own will, and he works all things for the good for those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. So, so we rest. Be comforted today. Have faith in Christ. Have faith in the greatness of our God. And uh, let me pray for you. Father, we just thank you that you are truly in control. And I pray when we say that now, it would have a deeper impact on our hearts and a deeper meaning. We say that a lot. Christians say that a lot. God is in control. Help us to really understand that the shape of that, the color of that, the beauty of that, Lord, to really let it settle in and go down deep into our hearts, right to our feet, so we could stand on it. Comfort us, Lord. Comfort our hearers. No matter what they're going through, Lord, I pray that we would truly rest in the grace of God. We thank you, Lord, for your word in this time. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Crucified and now risen.